0: Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now
1: enjoy the service. Hey folks, Pastor here. I am so glad to be back with you today. I had uh, took a little bit of a vacation and uh, was able to get away, see some family, and that was a wonderful thing. And uh, yesterday I found out that I'm going to be a poppy, grandpop, if you will, of a little baby boy. And so we're excited about that. I'm hoping it's going to be called George, maybe King George, Prince George. I don't know, but uh, well, it's something like that anyway. Um, but we are glad that you're here with us, and I'm excited to be able to be back with you. I know that you enjoyed those services with Colin Connor. I thank the Lord for him. Thank the Lord for him filling in and preaching the word. I know that you got a solid biblical message, and it was an encouragement to your heart. But we're going to continue on in our series through Matthew, if you would, and grab your Bibles, if you would, your favorite drink. And uh, get your family around, if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 66. I've entitled this message, God's Got You. God's Got You. Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 66. The Bible reads this way. When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate, And begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulchre and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulchre. Now the next day, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, "Sir." We remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people he has risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure sealing the stone and setting a watch. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. My Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this day of life that you've given to us. And thank you for us being able to uh, gather around your word. and And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to follow the person of your dear son. Help us to pursue after him. Help us to live for Jesus, I pray. Help us to follow biblical principles trusting you each and every day. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt out of control? Usually when life is unrestrained, when there is a franticness about your life, that's when you seem many times like your life is out of control. I'm sure you, like me, there's been times like that. You know, sometimes this happens when there's a sudden illness. I remember when I found out that I had cancer. As a matter of fact, it was in the middle of when I was going through a very severe severe time of depression and anxiety. And I found out I could take you to the place in Williamstown where I found out that I had cancer. And to hear those words, I felt like my life was out of control. So sometimes it happens when there's a sudden illness. Perhaps when death unexpectedly knocks at your door. And there are times as humans, we walk in the flesh instead of relying upon God. And when we do that, it feels like life is out of control. I'm going to be honest with you for a split second. When I first heard those words that I had cancer, I felt like life was out of control. I I broke down. I remember my dad getting back in the car and, He said, what's the matter, son? I said, they just told me I have cancer. And he looked at me and said, everything's going to be all right. And to be honest with you, after the initial words and after I had a few moments to be able to process it, I did have peace. But for a second there, I felt like life was out of control. Do you know that God has never had that feeling, though? God has never felt like life is out of control for him. In all the circumstances that's going on in the world today, life is not out of control for him. There's never been a time in your life that God was not in total control. He knows what's going on right now. He knows how it will work out. And he knows that you'll be able to benefit from the situation if you allow. See, the key is to remember that God's got you. It's to be willingly submitted to God's plan for your life and not your plan. See, many times the reason that we feel that life is out of control is because it's not following the script that we've written. And God is writing another script. See, Jesus is the perfect example of this. He was totally submitted to the Father's plan, and he accepted the fact that the Father was in total control. What did he say in the garden? Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, thine be done. See, friends, God's got you. There is a divine purpose for your life and for mine. And as we submit to the will of God for our lives, we can count on God to supernaturally, now listen, to supernaturally intervene to accomplish his purpose. You can see that all throughout scripture. Just take, for example, the children at the Red Sea. Their plan, once they were were free from slavery, they were excited, they were marching on, and then God leads them right to the Red Sea and it seems like everything is out of control. No, God led them there to show them his glory. He had a plan, he had a purpose, and he was teaching them to just trust him a little more. This is what I want you to remember today. This is what I want you to take home. You can sum up the message right here. Just because you don't understand the plan, does not mean that God does not have a purpose. Just because you do not understand the plan does not mean that God does not have a purpose. See, from God's standpoint, the death and burial of Christ would seem like, I'm sorry, from a human standpoint, it would seem like the death and burial of Christ, that, that man had won, that man was in control. But from God's standpoint, this was all determined before the foundation of the world. There was nothing that happened at the death and burial of Christ that God was not in control. God was working all things out for his glory and for our good. God is in total control. And I want you to understand this morning how God supernaturally intervenes in your life as we look at it through the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. He supernaturally intervenes. I want you to take a look, write this down if you would. God supernaturally intervenes through the godly. God supernaturally intervenes through the godly. We see this in verses 57 through 61. It says, when, it, when the evening was come, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple." He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. God supernaturally intervenes through the godly. If you were to study out prophecy of the burial of Christ, you would find that there are very two specific prophecies that had to be fulfilled. See, any area of Christ's life that was not fulfilled in the scriptures, including his death and burial and resurrection, it would have disqualified him from being the Messiah. And what we find in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah is in Isaiah chapter 59 and uh, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9. It says, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. This prophecy from Isaiah is saying that Jesus would be assigned his grave with criminals, in a criminal's grave, but instead he would be buried with, or or in a rich man's grave. If you look in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, You see this prophecy as well. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, Jesus predicts that there will be three days between his death and his resurrection. Jesus is stating that he will be in the grave for three days. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57. Now when evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciples. Now, if the prediction of Jesus's death was going to be fulfilled, that he would be in the grave for three days, he must be in the grave some part of Friday. It was 3 p.m. and Christ was now dead. He was hanging on the cross. He had been on the cross for six hours and he turned his spirit over to the Father. Remember, the Bible tells us that nobody took Jesus' life from him, but that Jesus willingly laid down his life and that the Father accepted his sacrifice at that time. So Jesus had to be buried on Friday so that he would be in the earth Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. This would ensure the fulfillment of the prediction from Christ's own lips. Because it was Friday and it was the preparation day for the Sabbath, The Jews wanted Jesus off the cross, as well as for their own reasons. You can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 21. It says, if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land may not be defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. See, they wanted to make sure that Jesus was off the cross so that they were, so they were following the law and not defiling the land. But God had a plan. God had a supernatural plan. He was intervening, if you will. See, you and I don't need to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose in this plan. God always has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And this is seen in the burial of Christ. Did you see what it said in verse 57, friends? There was a rich man. Oh, wait a second. What what kind of man was it? It was a rich man, a disciple of Jesus. When Jesus was dying, there's this man that comes on the scene and then goes to Pilate to beg for the body of Jesus. That's interesting because it was usually the family that would get the body of the one who was crucified. But instead of the family taking the body of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea took the body. See, if Jesus, if the body of Jesus would not have been taken, his body would have been thrown into a common criminal's grave. It said that his body would be assigned to a common criminal's grave, or even a pit where the bodies of criminals were thrown. And that was in the Hinnom Valley. Uh, that was like a, the city dump, if you would. But God was in control. He was supernaturally intervening. And there was a secret disciple who was wealthy that took the body of Jesus. In another gospel, we find that there was another man involved with this burial of Jesus. His name was Nicodemus. He was the one who brought the spices to place upon the body of Jesus. And these two men placed the body of Jesus in the tomb on Friday before the end of the day. Some have questioned where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40 what we read, about how Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must Jesus be as well. How is that possible that he can be there three days and three nights? First, if you take that phrase at face value, you will have to come to the conclusion that Jesus would not be able to rise on the third day, but on the fourth. You can't take that at face value. Secondly, the three days and three nights is not to be interpreted as 24-hour periods. The phrase that Jesus was using was a Jewish colloquialism for part of the day. So they understood that Jesus meant that he would be in the grave for any part of three days and that he would rise on the third day. How do you know this? We can find that the scripture supports this. Luke chapter 24 and verse 21. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. That was the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So Joseph and Nicodemus had the body of Jesus placed in the earth before the end of the day on Friday. Now take a look at what it says in Matthew 27, verse 59 through 60. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in a rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. God supernaturally intervenes through the godly. Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man, places Jesus in a new tomb, in a rich man's tomb. See, friends, God's totally in control. Jesus' body had been assigned to be placed with all other criminals. But because God's totally in control, even the burial of his own son was in his perfect plan. See, friends, this is what I want you to remember. Just because you don't understand the plan does not mean that God doesn't have a purpose. Just because you don't understand the plan does not mean that God doesn't have a purpose. Number one, God supernaturally intervenes through the godly. Secondly, God supernaturally intervenes through the ungodly. So many times we think that the ungodly are trying to ruin God's plans for my life and, and man, uh, all this evil is coming against me and all these people are against me. But, but, but take a look here. God can use the godly and the ungodly to accomplish his will. Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66. Now the next day that followed, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, Sir, we remember... That, that deceiver said, while well, he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, "Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting the watch." The chief priests and the Pharisees were doing everything that they could to make sure that Jesus was totally and completely discredited. They go to Pilate. They call Jesus, even after his death, a deceiver. They tell Pilate to have some troops guard the tomb. And they tell Pilate, they basically threaten him and say, look, if this doesn't happen and the disciples come and steal the body of Jesus' away, you're going to have a bigger problem on your hand than you did before. He said, it's going to be worse than the first deception. Well, what was the first deception? They were talking about Christ being the Messiah. See, these people hated Jesus so much that even after Jesus was dead, they were trying to do him harm. The reason they go to Pilate is not because they believe that Jesus will rise, but they wanted to make sure that the disciples would not come and steal the body away and say that Jesus had risen from the dead. So now look, here's the point. They did not want there to be any way anyone could fabricate a resurrection, right? That's the point. We want to ensure that there is no fabrication of a resurrection. They didn't want this because if if anybody could fabricate a resurrection, the movement that Christ started would still continue. So not only did they get the tomb guarded, but they also sealed the tomb. And these people that hated Jesus. I can guarantee you one thing, my friend. They made it impossible for anyone to try and fabricate anything. Do you see what God's doing? He's using the ungodly to ensure that there was no way possible for anybody to steal the body of Jesus. So the only way that anybody could get out of the tomb would be for Jesus to truly resurrect see God supernaturally intervenes and he uses the ungodly to accomplish his plan friend don't trouble yourself with what the ungodly may be trying to do in your life you just keep your eyes focused on the Lord you may not understand the plan but God has a purpose See, do you know what this means for us today? It means that Romans 8.28 is true. It means that those who love God, that God will work all things out for his glory and their good. It means that you don't have to understand the plan, but you can know that God has a purpose. It means that uh, God will work all things out for his eternal glory. It means that you can't explain the trouble and difficulty that you're going through, that there is a powerful and sovereign God who takes every bit, of the diverse data of this universe and uses it for your good, his eternal glory and purpose. My point is, friends, God's got you. You may not understand the plan, but God has a purpose. You know, the ultimate, the the first purpose for every person's life is to come to know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. You might be viewing Open Bibles uh, podcast here or this uh, YouTube video for the first time. Let me say thank you for viewing. But there's a purpose, there's a reason why you clicked on this. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He was buried according to the scriptures, and he rose again according to the scriptures. And if you put your faith and trust in him, he'll forgive you for sins. See, the Bible tells us that all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners. There's not a single person upon the face of the earth today that is not a sinner. All of us are sinners. We may not sin like other people sin, but God doesn't look at it that way. He just says, All sins sin. So you got to recognize that fact that the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then you've got to accept the fact that Jesus Christ died in the place for your sin. But God commended, or God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's already paid the penalty. Death is the penalty for sin. Death is separation from God and eternal punishment in hell. There's gotta be a judgment for sin. The Bible says that Jesus already paid the way. The Bible also says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, as a five-year-old boy, I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because I knew that I was a sinner. Even at five years old, I knew that I was a sinner and I didn't wanna die and go to hell. I wanted to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to be forgiven of my sins. I didn't want to carry around that backpack of sin in my life, that guilt, that condemnation. I didn't want that. No, I'm not a perfect person. I'm still not sinless. But thank God I'm forgiven of my sin because I've accepted what Jesus Christ has done for me. See, God's got me. I'm not getting to heaven on my own. God's got me. I can't do enough righteousness on my own. God's got me through the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to your life today, he'll forgive you your sins, you'll have a relationship with Jesus and you'll have a home in heaven. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? It's first admitting that you're a sinner, believing that you're a sinner according to the word of God, asking Jesus to come into your, your heart and your life, ask him to forgive you of your sins. Say, Jesus, I'm throwing myself upon your mercy. I'm trusting in you that when I die, I'll go to be with you. See, friends, it's simply as stop trusting in yourself, stop trusting in your religion, and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Realize you're a sinner. Accept the fact that he has died on the cross for your sins. Ask him to come into your life. Put your complete trust in him. You might want to pray something like this. This prayer doesn't save you, but you might want to pray something like this Dear Jesus, according to your word, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you now to forgive me of my sins. And I'm placing my trust and faith in you and you alone. I want you to be my Savior. So that when I die, I'll go to be with you. Friend, if you've done that, I'd like you to fill out the electronic connection card that you'll see come up on the screen below there. You can just click that link if you would, or there might be a link in the bio at the bottom there. And uh, if you've done that, would you please fill that out and I will send you a brand new Bible, just like this one, a brand new Bible like this and a book to be able to help you on your Christian journey. I want to do that more than anything. I want to see you grow in Christ. I don't want you to just accept Christ and then go on about your way. You need to grow in him. If you really meant it, you're going to desire to be like Christ. And I'll be happy to send, no charge to you, I'll send you this Bible and this book written by a friend of mine. It'll be a help to you on your journey. I would encourage you if you do that, the first book that I'd like you to read is in the New Testament. It's called the book of John. It will help you to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. So fill out that connection card if you would please. And we'll mail this out to you this week. Christian friend, I want you to remember one thing. This is your take home for today. Just because you don't understand the plan doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose. He's got a purpose. Trust his plan. Trust that he's got a purpose. So how do you know he has a purpose? Because he loves you with an everlasting love. May God bless you. And I look forward to being again with you next Sunday. Have a great day.